Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team it's tribe time now welcome to tribe talk on the cleveland indians radio network tribe talk is brought to you by progressive helping indians fans save hundreds on car insurance Everyone, welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Great to have you with us for Baseball Talk on the radio. Good show lined up for you today as uh, we will take a, another look back at some of the great games of 2019. The day in Minnesota in August when the Indians came all the way back from an 11 and a half game deficit in the division standings and with a route last inning win in Minneapolis thanks to Carlos Santana's grand slam home run. The Indians pulled into a first place tie with the Twins that day and we'll hear some of the highlights of that game. A great game certainly for the Indians and uh, one of their true highlights of the 2019 season. We will also visit with Dennis Lehman, the Indians executive vice president of business who wrapped up a 50-year career in baseball this year. He's retiring at the end of the calendar year, and we had a chance to visit with him and and, uh, talk about some of the highlights of a career that saw him spend 19 years with the Phillies at the start, dating back to 1970, but the last 31 years with the Indians and some of the great moments in both Phillies and Indians history Dennis had a pretty big impact in, and uh, it's uh, a life in baseball off the field that uh, hopefully you'll find really interesting. One of the good guys in the game, Dennis Lehman, will join us in just a little bit. Well, uh, first some news and notes, though, from around the world of baseball and the Indians in particular. The winter meetings have been completed, and as you know, 
uh, some huge contracts, record-breaking contracts handed out to some of the biggest names in baseball. From an Indian's perspective, the big rumors were what would happen with Francisco Lindor and or Corey Kluber or others. Would the Indians pull the trigger on some big deals involving those players? And while there were a myriad of rumors, nothing concrete happening, and the Indians remain a team that has a lot of options on how they want to go about things in terms of their roster, makeup, and what they see for the 2020 season. So uh, certainly that will transpire as this, uh, this off season and winter rolls along and we get closer to spring training. A couple of items for you uh, just from a housekeeping standpoint. If you're still looking for those last-minute holiday gifts, the Indians Team Shop is open every day between now and Christmas and also between Christmas and New Year's, noon to 5 most times, including the next two Sundays leading into Christmas Day. And uh, most days they're open at 10 o'clock until 5 or 6. Go ahead and uh, check on that. Call down to the Team Shop or just check on Indians.com for the uh, particular times, but they open at 10 each day at the team shop, except for the two Sundays between now and Christmas. That's when they're open from noon to 5 on those Sundays, and then they open at 10 o'clock the other days of the week and stay open until 5 or 6. Make sure you grab your Indians six-packs. They're flexible now. Just go to indians.com slash tribe six-packs, and uh, you'll be able to find them right there. And also information on tickets for Tribe Fest. It's coming on February the 1st. Uh, Two notables confirmed, among others, but uh, Shane Bieber and Mike Clevenger. They have been confirmed as attending Tribe Fest coming up on February the 1st at the Cleveland Convention Center. So again, go to Indians.com for all your information on Tribe Fest, six-packs, team shop hours, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, this note, too, if you're looking for some light reading over the holiday season, uh, check out Mike Hargrove and the Cleveland Indians, A Baseball Life. Jim Ingram, the great reporter, an Indians beat reporter for a, a couple of different publications over the years. Uh, he sat down with Mike Hargrove, and it is a great read. I'm right in the middle of it now, and, and you'll find some things out about one of the, the great managers in Indians history that you may not know in the pages of that book. So uh, be sure to pick that up if you like some holiday reading. Uh, Mike Hargrove and the Cleveland Indians, A Baseball Life with Grover and Jim Ingram uh, putting that great book together. All right, we'll step aside and take a time out and come back with Dennis Lehman, the Indians Executive Vice President of Business, a 50-year career in baseball. I think you'll enjoy this one when we return on Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Strap yourselves in, folks. We're going to be here a while. Now the set, now the 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Good slow curve. Got him. Clevenger now for the second time this year has struck out a dozen. He did it in his first start April 1st. And 12 strikeouts, a career high for Mike Clevenger. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And great to visit with one of the people in the game who has meant so much to this game, and, and obviously we focus so much of, of what we do on the field, players, managers, coaches, but off the field here in Cleveland, someone who has meant so much to this franchise is retiring after 50 years in the game of baseball, 
His name is Dennis Lehman, the Indians Executive Vice President of Business. And uh, Dennis, I know you are honored at the tail end of the season. You had a, some great friends from Philadelphia, the Phillies, your first ball club you yeah. worked for. But uh, I guess as time winds down here and winter starts to close in, uh, tough here at these last couple of weeks at, at the office. Yeah, you know, it, it's been, uh, and thank you for the introduction, uh, it's been uh, odd, I guess, in a lot of ways, because I've been doing it so long. Um, and, and not coming into the office every day is going to be a real transition for me. I think that uh, I think that's the one thing that I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss the people, uh, especially during the season. Uh, I've had so many wonderful memories of, of uh, you know, I'm a kind of a, a stadium rat. And so many people that I've known over the years that I've gotten to know, whether they're ushers, security people, or the grounds crew, or even the baseball staff, um, because I, I like to, to move around the building and say hello to folks. That uh, I'm going to miss them particularly because yeah, they're kind of part of the fabric here. And you know, I, I think every time uh, March comes around and we see our seasonal folks start coming back in and we start uh, firing up the building again, that's that's the time that I get the the biggest kick out of it because they they've hibernated too, like the rest of us, and they're they're ready to go. They're they're anxious to go, so they come with a lot of enthusiasm. And I think that's. That's the one thing that I'm going to miss. So I, I hope maybe I can sneak in the back door here and say hello to these people uh, next March. Somehow I think they'll, they'll still have a key to the building somehow. <laughs> I hope so. Well, let's, we'll get to your career with the Indians and some of the things that have taken place during your time here in a little bit. But for our younger listeners, especially those who may be thinking about, hey, how do I get into the baseball business or even sports industry, there's some messages here. So pay attention, folks, as we go through this. But 1970, you get into baseball with your hometown Philadelphia Phillies while you were in college. How did you get your foot in the door with the Phillies at a time where they were kind of struggling to make their mark? I was uh, – my, my dad had a, a friend who was uh, working in the season ticket department. And he would come over to the house and, and uh, bring over a, a bushel of oysters and shuck them in the uh, kitchen table. And I would say to Mr. Hudson, I'd say, you know, uh, I'm a golf caddy and I, you know, I got a paper route, but I really need to, to do something else. And I'd really love to, I'd really love the Phillies. It'll be a great time to have an opportunity. Well, as it turned out, uh, the Phillies were about to move to Veterans Stadium, but the last year they, they were starting to rebrand uh, and remarket the team. And a fellow by the name of Bill Giles had just come from Houston. So I had an opportunity to, to start at the Phillies, uh, second semester freshman. And um, my first day, I remember, was March 1st of uh, 1970. And I worked in the public relations department under Larry Shank, who he and I still keep in touch with. He was a tremendous mentor for me, uh, along with Bill Giles and uh, Dave Montgomery. These are really just wonderful people. And I, I think they gave me the confidence to, uh, to learn the business uh, the right way. And I did everything. I ran. Uh, ran things off uh, of offset machines. I prepared uh, notes and and did some um, uh, typing and uh, all those sort of things back in the days that were pretty rudimentary. And then my second job was really to to handle the the media during ball games, where I had to uh, make sure that they had food and beverage uh, during the game. So the the media, the broadcasters, and uh, the ownership were kind of my my people that I had to make sure that they were. They were comfortable and satisfied as they kind of sat there and smoked their cigarettes and uh, watched the game. And sometimes, you, well, most of the time, on our side of the business, you can't dictate what happens on the field. You're not sure what's going to happen on the field. But you were fortunate enough, and I know it opened up some doors, to have a team that suddenly became one of the best in the National League, perennial playoff teams. 
Well, that was the that, that was the nice part about starting uh, as low as I did because uh, the Phillies weren't very good for a long time, uh, and uh, in the mid '70s they started getting better uh, because uh, there was a little change in uh, at the general manager level. Uh, the Phillies had uh, made a trade for uh, Rick Wise for Steve Carlton, and they uh, they had some good draft choices. They you know drafted Larry Boa, they drafted Mike Schmidt and Greg Lazinski. so the core was there. Bob Boone. The core is there, and they started really starting to gel, much like what we, uh, the, Philly, uh, the Indians did back in the late 80s. And uh, you could see it kind of coming, and there was a lot of heartbreak, too. I mean, we had some very good teams, but we never got over the, uh, over the hump. So in three years in a row, we won 100 games out of 162-game season in 76, 77, and 78, and we got nowhere after uh, postseason because we, we hit the, a wall against the uh, Big Red Machine and the Los Angeles Dodgers and never got to the promised land until 1980, which was really a, a, a great run. And we had Pete Rose then, which I think made a big deal, a big difference as well with that team. Indians Executive Vice President of Business, Dennis Lehman, joining us, retiring after 50 years in the game. You've been a part of three All-Star games, and, and obviously this last one was a, a great event here. The the 97 one was just tremendous here. 1976, it's in Philadelphia. <laughs> and I'm sure it's completely different then than what it is now, but it's in Philadelphia as part of the bicentennial, right? And, and that must have been a big deal. That was a big deal. Well, uh, Bill Giles was probably the first uh, baseball executive that sort of took uh, the All-Star game and sort of reformatted it because the, the, the local team had a lot of flexibility as to what they could do with the All-Star game at the time. So he, uh, he sort of talked uh, Major League Baseball to have this giant party on Independence Mall, uh, which, of course, we have galas and so forth with, uh, with the All-Star game as well. But this particular party was really the first of its kind, and everything in the building was um, – really focused on the, the bicentennial and it was a great celebration i mean it, it was one of those things that um with his his feel for the baseball fan uh he really captured uh the combination of the uh the uh, bicentennial and and the city of philadelphia in a way that uh, probably will never be done again it was it was a it was really a wonderful festival if you will and he did a great job all right you're in philadelphia at the time mascots were not a big deal in sports in general uh, maybe the San Diego chicken that, that come along a, a year or two before the Philly fanatic and uh, is it true you you were responsible for the Philly fanatic and, and maybe the mascot boom later on well I don't know about the boom but uh, I had I had something to do with the Philly fanatic anyway, yeah. what what uh, because I worked in the public relations department I was a part of the traveling team so uh, I would get um, an occasional road trip that I would uh, I would uh, cycle through. So this one year I had San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego. So when we got to San Diego, I'd always heard about the San Diego chicken. So watching the series in San Diego that weekend, I'm seeing this chicken who's just kind of lighting up the building. He's walking around very cocky, uh, a little off color. Um, but uh, he and I could see the players are getting a kick out of him as well, and they're talking about him. So I came back uh, to the office and I said to, uh, to Bill and Larry and uh, Dave, I said, you know, uh, the Veterans Stadium at the time was probably six or seven years old. And I just felt that there, there might be a need for a little more entertainment. And I said, why don't we look at something like a mascot that we could uh, sort of develop? So Bill gave the direction to Frank Sullivan, who was the uh, promotions director, to talk to Jim Henson. And Jim was too busy at the time, so he gave... 
uh, Frank the nod to a, a woman by the name of uh, Bonnie Erickson. Um, and Bonnie uh, was the Fraggle Rock uh, developer. She was a cartoonist and a, a developer of mascots for Henson as a subcontractor. And Bonnie was the one that actually sort of crafted what we wanted. I think Bill was sort of driving, you know, the, the, the rotundness of him and, and some of the colors. And then we had a kid who really sort of made it, uh, David Raymond, who was our intern in the, uh, in the promotions department. David uh, was, a, uh, was a punter for the University of Delaware. Uh, he was a, a very athletic, uh, fun sort of guy, big personality. And uh, he, um, uh, he was around, and we said, why don't you put the costume on? We'll measure it for you and just to, to get a sense of it and see how you feel in it. And uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was an amazing moment because as soon as he put the uh, costume on, he became the Philly fanatic. And I, I really don't – it was by complete coincidence – uh, and he was probably, he may be one of the greatest mascots that ever lived uh, because he, he took something that was uh, all his own. I mean, he just sort of made it what it was and uh, put the personality in it. And I think uh, Tom Burgoyne, who's now the, the current Philly fanatic, is probably very thankful that David sort of showed him the way because Tom's very good too. But that was sort of the start. And uh, the Philly fanatic has been, uh, has been a great success uh, for the Phillies, that's for sure. They always say the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but Dave Raymond couldn't have been more different than his dad, who was a longtime tremendous football coach at the University of Delaware, running the wing tee offense, very conservative. And his son, did he ever patch things up? Did the Fanatic ever patch things up with Tommy Lasorda? I don't think so. <laughs> I think uh, Tommy, Tommy Lasorda and, the, and those listeners who want to kind of dial up on YouTube, take a look at uh, uh, the Philly Fanatic and Tommy Lasorda. There, there's, there was some... Uh, heated moments uh, because uh, Tommy did not like the Philly Fanatic and the Philly Fanatic would bait him all the time. <laughs> you know, it was you mentioned uh, Tubby. Uh, Tubby's wife, who passed away a number of years ago, um, uh, was um, hearing impaired. And, and David and his family knew sign. And we never knew that uh, when, when we put the uh, costume, uh, gave him the costume to wear. So he really had a, a natural tendency to mime that we never knew. And, and he took that, 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 uh, that sign language that he mastered for his mom and developed it with a Philly fanatic. And I think it's, it's just one of those sort of uh, unusual things that just sort of line up that way. One of those groundbreaking times where a lot of teams at some point in time have had a mascot, including here. We'll get to that in a little bit, but we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Dennis about how he ended up in Cleveland after spending time with his hometown team, what brought him to Cleveland and with the Indians? Stay tuned. More to come after this. Congratulations to Dennis Lehman on his retirement. He's been one of the driving forces behind Progressive Field and the era of excellence that the Indians have been involved in for over 30 years thanks to people like Dennis Lehman. He will be missed. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with Indians Executive Vice President of Business, Dennis Lehman. And uh, we're looking back at a great career in baseball, 50 years in baseball. And it starts with the Phillies, your hometown team. You grew up not far from uh, First County Max Stadium and then Veterans Stadium. 1988, a little bit before that, uh, you have an opportunity to move. How difficult was it to 
to get away from where you grew up and, and what you knew all the time to, to come here and be with a new ball club? Well, I, I, I give a lot of credit to my wife, Ginny, because we had just gotten married about a year before, and uh, and the opportunity was there. And uh, uh, so the way baseball works, you have to sort of get approval to sort of uh, move to, from one team to another. And uh, I got the, the approval, So, um, but my wife said to me, she said, you know, um, life's an adventure. You're married to your best friend. Uh, let's go for it. Let's, let's try something else. And I said, uh, well, okay. So I left behind my family, my, my mom, and, uh, and my uh, brothers and sister, and all my pals. And uh, we moved out to Cleveland. So it was, a, it was, a, it was a really a wonderful opportunity. And I think uh, I, I, I'm thankful that Hank Peters you know, um, decided to hire me because it was really a, it was a big, it was a big move for us at the time. And, and it, was, it, was, it was the right time to do that, too. And from the outside, you could look at it and say, well, they're getting a new ballpark in 1994. Surely he must have known that. But at the time, was it even uh, on the landscape that, that that might be coming? Or did you come here to work at Old Municipal Stadium with the hope that maybe someday? Well, I think it was the hope. I think that uh, the, the, the attraction was the fact that, that, that I have, have, have the ability to sort of run the business side of things, at least initially, uh, to sort of uh, reformat or reformulate the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Indians' uh, uh, banner and uh, certainly rebuild maybe the uh, the staff and uh, and, the, and the group that we had here. So in a lot of ways, that was that was uh, Hank's charge. So he brought in uh, Dan O'Dowd and John Hart and uh, myself and uh, Jeff Overton and and really that that core was really a group that sort of helped get it get it going. I think there was always, uh, as Hank said to me, he said, you know, the the owner of the Indians uh, has a vision of having a new stadium someday and and. He says, "I think it's going to happen, but I don't know when." And uh, so that was kind of the the hope, if you will. But having worked at Connie Mack Stadium and working at Cleveland Stadium was not foreign to me. You know, I just knew old places with with uh, you know uh, pillars and and uh, old concrete and and funky sort of uh, uh, flecked paint. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a big shock to me. I'd already done that, so I, it, in a lot of ways, I, I was fine with it. It was. It was just a great opportunity. Ninety-four rolls around, and you go from uh, a ballpark that's empty on a lot of nights to one that's packed, and at, at one point in time, every night for more than four hundred games. Um, that would seem to be easy, but uh, what are the challenges that you faced? Going from one situation that would seem to be a real challenge to another that wouldn't seem to be much of a challenge at all. Well, it obviously didn't happen overnight, and I, there was a lot of things that, that went on uh, before we uh, uh, we moved here. Obviously, there was the blueprint for success that we uh, that the baseball guys developed, uh, which really s- sold the fan base the fact that we were building from the bottom up, which is what Hank wanted to do. Uh, that meant to have a, a strong farm system and to add baseball players uh, with free agency when you needed to fit fit holes. And the whole idea was to sort of build that team, just like the Phillies did back in the mid se- early mid early 70s, and build that team together so they played together. And then if you had some gaps uh, on the team, you went out and got a free agent. And that's really what, what 1993 was, was that you could see it start to gel. And then uh, Dick Jacobs made the decision uh, in 93-94 to go out and make some uh, free agent signings in order to, to bolster that core of, uh, of uh, players. And I think that um, with the help of the, the newness of the ballpark, I think that really helped us build a season ticket base. 
1994 is a very good reason for somebody to sort of buy into the, the Indians at the time because we were, we were showing a lot of hope. It was a very interesting team. It was, it was exciting to watch. We scored a lot of runs, and the place was just a magnificent ballpark, as everybody knows. And I think the other thing, too, and I, and I give Dick a lot of credit for this, he, he, he had a vision because he was a builder. And I think if he hadn't been a builder, I, I'm not sure that the, the ballpark would have been as great as it was because he was probably the only owner who developed malls and, and, and shopping malls and, and high-rises. Uh, and he had a real feel for uh, uh, quality and scope and size and longevity, if you will. So a lot of what is designed here was really Dick's vision. It wasn't HOKs. I mean, it w- and he, he wanted to have certain textures and qualities of this building that would last for a generation uh, or, you know, in this case, 50 years, 60 years, something like that. And the fact that the quality of the build was uh, had a lot to do with uh, not only Gateway, but also the, the people at the Jacobs Group who were so talented and were used to building things. And I think they were the ones that really uh, held everybody's feet to the fire, knowing that the quality of construction and the materials that were used were so vital and that the finishes were so important because they would last a lifetime. And I think I think that's what you see today. You know, you see a, a ballpark that's 27 years old and still looks pretty good. And it's because, you know, the forefathers had the foresight to, to make sure that that building was going to be designed and, and the construction was executed properly. It's amazing when you you hear fans who come here for the first time, even now, who are shocked that this building opened back in 1994. They can't believe that. Um, All right, so the building hosts two World Series, uh, excuse me, three World Series, two All-Star games, multiple postseason games here. It's probably not a fair question, but a memory stand out above all the rest or, or maybe two or three memories that stand out above the rest, the time here at, at Progressive Field? I think that the uh, a couple things that stand out. Well, uh, generally speaking, I, I I used to tell the the staff back in the '90s that, especially with the uh, the run of consecutive sellouts, is that I wanted them to make sure that they stopped and paused for a moment because this would probably never happen again. Uh, you know, 455 consecutive sellouts is just a remarkable feat for this size market, and and they need to they need to understand that. So when you watch uh, a load in on an April night when it's cold and damp. Um, you got every seat sold. That's, that's an amazing feat in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, that's number one. I think number two, I, I will never forget uh, the night that Albert Bell hit the, uh, hit the Grand Slam home run to win the game off of, uh, of uh, uh, Smith. And, uh, and Smith said the next day that uh, he hit the ball so hard it went into the pork and beans. <laughs> and it was just one of those um, amazing moments that – uh, I, you know, you, you, I would think that the Game 7 of the World Series in 16 was probably as loud, but with all those sellouts and these magical moments where, you, where the fans anticipate the moment and the moment happens just the way they anticipated it, they're, they're remarkable pieces of drama that, that they have to be there to experience it because you just let the crowd tell the story, and it was thunderous, and the place shook. And they're the kinds of things that you always remember of those kind of games. And, uh, you know, the, the comeback game that, uh, you know, that we did with the uh, Seattle Mariners early uh, in this uh, decade or century uh, was pretty remarkable, too. Uh, so there are a few of them. I, you know, I, game, game seven of the World Series is a little bittersweet. So I, in some ways it's, it's remarkable, but it's, uh, it's not a happy ending. Uh, but um, it was, uh, it was pretty, they were pretty special times. 
visiting with Dennis Lehman, the Indian Executive Vice President of Business, wrapping up a 50-year career in the game. And let's circle back and finish where we started. Uh, we're talking about how you got into the business and, and that there might be some lessons there. Um, the game has changed. The business has changed. Kids have changed. Um, that happens in every generation. But are there some constants there that, that you would tell a, a young person who wants to get into the game on our side of the business and, and make a career out of it? Well, I think you have to. I think you have to sample it the right way. I, I think in, in the way we're structured right now, um, we have internships really only last a year. I had the fortunate uh, ability to go all four years as a so-called intern. As a matter of fact, they offered me a, a full-time job after my first season, and I, I really didn't want to take it because I wanted to finish my degree. But I would tell I would tell folks that. Uh, if you want to get in the door here, I would get the experience of doing just about everything you can do here, whether it's uh, selling uh, uh, popcorn and soft drinks uh, as a vendor, uh, working in a concession stand, being an usher. Uh, to me, are the types of things that you can sort of sample the game to see if you really like the culture, you like uh, working with people and being able to sell yourself and uh, you know, be an entrepreneur uh, in selling cotton candy. Dennis, we've got more than 20 minutes, and I feel like we've, we're just like at the, the tip of the iceberg, scratching the surface. But this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much. You've been a great mentor to me during my time here with the Indians. And um, I know that you'll still be around this ballpark quite a bit, and it's um, been great to have you along today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for asking. That's Dennis Lehman, the Indians Executive Vice President of Business, 50-year career in the game of baseball here in Cleveland since 1988. Stay tuned. More to come after this. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you with our final segment from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And we continue our look back at some of the great games of 2019. And this week, we take a look at a game in Minneapolis on Sunday, August the 11th. And certainly, if you're familiar with the Indian season gone by, you know that they fell into a deep hole in terms of trying to win the division, the American League Central, as the Minnesota Twins really had a, a wonderful year that was keyed by a quick start and heavy home run hitting as they went on to hit more than 300 home runs in one of the prolific seasons home run-wise in Major League Baseball history. So... In early June, the Indians found themselves as many as 11 and a half games back and spent the rest of the summer trying to dig out of that hole, and they got there. They came into that game in Minneapolis at Target Field in early August, trailing the Twins by just one game as the Indians were the hottest club in baseball heading into that Sunday afternoon contest. 72 degrees, sunshine, great day for baseball, sellout crowd at Target Field. Jose Barrios would be on the mound for Minnesota against rookie right-hander Aaron Savali, who would become a key to that Indians rotation. And we had a, a pretty good look at why in that game in Minneapolis on Sunday, August the 11th. So we get right to it. Indians jumped on top just two batters in, with Oscar Mercado getting a rare day off. Usually he was in the second spot in Terry Francona's lineup. Greg Allen was in the starting lineup, and he took advantage. Allen drives one high, drives it deep, way out of here into the upper deck and right, and the Indians take a 1-0 lead. Greg Allen gets his third home run, all of them left-handed. And boy, folks, he got all of it. Into the second deck in right field, 
And the Indians have a 1-0 lead. The very next hitter, Carlos Santana, drew a walk. And then Yasiel Puig helped the Indians extend the lead. Now the pitch. Swung on, ripped up the alley in left center. This is a base hit, and it'll scoot to the wall, and it should score Santana. He hits third. He's being waved home. The throw to the plate is cut off, and in with an RBI double is Puig as Santana scores from first. And the big weekend for Yasiel Puig continues, and the Indians have jumped on Barrios for two runs here in the first inning. Yasiel Puig is now 8 for 14 this weekend. That's his third RBI this weekend. The Twins got on the board with a run in the second inning, but in the third, the Indians got that run right back thanks to Carlos Santana. Now the payoff. Swung on a bouncing ball on the left side of the infield. Diving attempt by Polanco. Can't get it. Base hit into left center. Lindor scores, and the shift burns the Twins. Tribe leading it 3-1. to one. Carlos Santana didn't hit it hard, but a perfectly placed chopper where the shortstop would normally be, and it bounces into left center, and Santana has his 66th RBI, and the Indians have a 3-1 to one lead here in inning number three. And that was just the beginning of what turned out to be a huge day for Santana. More on that later, but first... Aaron Savali was sailing along for the Indians. Another impressive outing for the rookie. This is, in all likelihood, Savali's last inning. He's had 94 pitches. He's done his job. Now the pitch. And it's hit high in the air to shallow left. Naquin is coming in, and Aaron Savali has been magnificent again today. 95 pitches made through six innings. And if indeed that was the last batter he faces, what a job. The Indians would take that 3-1 to one lead into the ninth inning. But it turned out to be a tough day for closer Brad Hand as the Twins scratched for four hits and two runs to tie the game at three. So he went to extra innings, and the Indians didn't waste any time in the tenth. Kevin Ploiecki started things off with a single. Francisco Lindor walked. And then Greg Allen's infield single loaded the bases with nobody out for Carlos Santana. Well, Santana will be wailing here if he gets the pitch he's looking for. Outfielders straight up, medium deep, the pitch. Swung on, hit high, hit deep to left center. This ball gone, a grand slam. Carlos Santana. With a grand slam to left center. And the Indians are back on top 7-3 to here in the 10th inning. Santana has hit just the second grand slam of the year for the Indians. And it's his fourth ever in the big leagues. And what a celebration in that third base dugout. What a big hit in a season of big hits for Santana, and in the bottom half of the 10th inning, Hunter Wood came on to finish things off for the Tribe. Now the 1-2. Swung on a weak chopper on the left side, charged by the shortstop. Lindor gloves, throws, got him! Ball game! And the Indians are back in first, tied with Minnesota. As they come to the Twin Cities, take three out of four. They win today on a 10th inning grand slam 
by Carlos Santana. 7-3, the Indians beat the Twins in 10 innings, and the American League Central Division is all knotted up. The Tribe and the Twins now both at 71-47. and 47. So the Indians had pulled into a first-place tie with the Twins, and the very next night at home against Boston, Santana's heroics again gave the Indians a walk-off win and a sole possession of first place for what turned out to be the last time in 2019. As the Indians faltered down the stretch, the Twins regained their footing and went on to win the division. But that Sunday afternoon in August at Target Field in Minneapolis, great division race baseball between the Indians and the Twins, and Carlos Santana's grand slam proved to be the game winner. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Hope you can tune in next week and the week after as we get deep into the holiday season. A tradition here on Tribe Talk is our annual look back at the 1948 World Series, the Indians' last World Series championship. Not only will we have some of the live radio broadcasts of that game, which is a treat in and of itself. We visit with Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio for, uh, for some perspective on just how good those Indians teams were in the late 40s and on into the 50s as well. So it's a lot of fun to look back and, and see how much the game has changed and life in general has changed as we take a look back at the 1948 World Series, not only next week, but the following week as well during this holiday season. Thanks so much to Brian Matze, as always, for helping to put together our show each week. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.